There was a young princess, and she had been given a chest, and that chest was uh, for her to use throughout the kingdom as she saw fit. Any time that she came across a group of generous people and they opened up the chest, it was said that that chest would begin to just unfill and unpack all types of blessings to the people. And so this young princess decided that she was going to go on the quest throughout the entire kingdom, and she was going to take this chest around from village to village, from peasants to poor folk to anyone in need, and they were going to open the chest, and everyone was going to enjoy it. But remember, there was one catch, that any time that she opened the chest, it must be in the midst of generous people for it to be a blessing. And so she would go to village to village, and every time she would get in the village, and she would open the chest, but nothing would come out. She would go again to another village, and from there another village, and from there another village, and she went on a quest throughout her whole kingdom, which took several months, and not one time did she get in the midst of people where she opened up the chest that it actually worked. And so she goes home, and she's about to enter the palace, and she's thought to herself, what good is this chest? When all of a sudden there's a a young little boy who comes up and you can tell that he's just poor. He has clanky shoes on and he's, his clothing is just tattered and worn. And you could tell that he just did not have much. And he said, madam, may I have that chest? And of course, she's been throughout the whole kingdom. She's known what everyone said about the chest, that if it was in the midst of generous people, it would be a blessing. And yet she's never seen the chest be a blessing. And she thought to herself, well, why not? I mean, this chest hasn't done anything that they said it would do. It's not any good to me. He can have it. And all at once he grabs it and in excitement and amazement, he opens up the chest and blessing after blessing after blessing begin to pour out. I mean, everything he had ever dreamed of begins to come. And there's a sing, a song that begins to be sung. And it simply is about generosity. And the generosity comes from the heart of the giver. And all at once, this young princess realized that all this time she had been looking for other people and their generosity to be a blessing. And she realized that really generosity doesn't start with other people. It began with who? Her. And so today I want to talk about generosity. This is the week three of our series called Be Generous. And I think all the time we think to ourselves, man, I would love to be generous, but I just don't have what everyone else has. I don't have the ability to give other things away because I just don't have a whole lot. And week one, we talked about that generosity is just literally beginning to show who God is and that just as God has shown us generosity and he has lavished his love on us, that we are to do the same. And so we know that our generosity is a reflection of God. We also know that generosity is... What? Not something that we have to do, but it's something that we get to do. And a couple of weeks ago, we looked at a text in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, where we saw a Macedonia people who didn't have a whole lot. They were poor, they were broken down, yet they were the most generous givers in the land. And then you had these, these people in Corinth who they had said, we promise we'll give. They had said a year earlier that they were going to be a part of a great movement and a giving experience. And yet it was Paul having to write to them and saying, hey, you remember that you were going to give? Hey, do you remember what you said? And so the question is, is why do we give? We give because we reflect God, but we also give and we give best. We know that it's not up to others to make it happen. It happens within us. 
And so I want to just so welcome today, and I look forward to showing you six things that are a blessing to you if you'll give. Six things, not six things that you should do, not six things that we're asking you to do, not six things that the scripture requires you to do. Six things that if you'll decide to be generous, that God says, I'll bless you with these things. And uh, I don't know about you, but when I give, I love to see what God does. And so my prayer is, is that whether you're in Edgewood or whether you're here with us uh, on our Wills Point campus, that God would be a blessing to you as you give. Let's pray together, and we're going to dive into a text in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. God, we love you and we thank you. And Father, we pray that you would open our, our eyes and our hearts, that you would enlighten us to the text. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be generous in all that we do. And Father, I pray that just as the young princess knew in her heart that it was up to others for generosity to work, I pray, God, that you would show us, just like you showed her in that story, that generosity begins with us. And so, Father, help us to know that we have a responsibility to show other people the great love that you've had for us, the great responsibility that you took in sending your son Jesus to be sacrificial in his love towards us. I pray we'd be sacrificial in our generosity, simply because it points other people to your love. Thank you for today. Thank you for this text. And I pray that it would be a blessing to the people. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. If you don't have one, that's okay. But we would love for, for you to get one as you leave today. As you're walking out, we have a resource counter uh, there on your right. You can stop by and just say, hey, we don't have a Bible. We'd love to get one. And they would love to, to bless you with a Bible. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, we're dealing with this group of people in the church of Corinth. Now, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, here's what the church of Corinth did. They said that they would commit to take up an offering and send it to saints in Jerusalem. Now, the saints in Jerusalem, they have been persecuted. Many of them had been beaten. Many of them have been famished. Many of them have scattered abroad because of the persecution that the church had experienced in those days. Many of them were without jobs. And because of the very fact they had been a part, entitled as a part of the way, they were a part of the movement called the church. People had shunned them. And so they had very little provision like they may have used to had. And so a group of churches led by several people and Paul himself said, we will give. And Corinth said, we'll give. Macedonia churches said that they would give. And it spread through Berea and Thessalonica and several different places. But the problem was the Macedonians had stepped up. They had very little, but yet they had given generously. And yet this Corinthian church, the one who said we would be a part of it a year earlier, is now not showing true to exactly what they said they would do. And Paul had some concerns and he outlined them for them. And so just as I talked about them <coughs> a couple of weeks ago, I, I want to kind of show you today a little bit more about them and what Paul was saying to them. And so 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 1, it says, Now it is superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints. If you have a version of your Bible, maybe the NIV, he says, it's not in, I don't have to write to you about this. It's not important that I write to you about this very thing. For I know your readiness, of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Ahia has been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. He said, you began this work? And he said, and I don't have to write to you to remind you about this. 
I'm not riding to spur you on because I know that you had an excitement and that excitement that you had actually started a movement. And he said it started among the people of Macedonia in Ahia. And Macedonia would have been to the north, uh, Ahia to the south. And he goes, it was your, your zeal initially that stirred everyone up. I mean, do you remember maybe a time in your life where you were super excited about something in your life and it was your zeal, it was your passion, maybe for something that God was calling you to, maybe it was something that you said, I'm going to volunteer towards, maybe it was even here within the church, like you were super excited when you first came and you remember that zeal. And just as Mark even mentioned, he said, you know, you, you used to look and you would see the stars and you would be amazed by them. And now the stars don't really grasp the beauty that they once did that you're not really intrigued by those things anymore, that you're just kind of doing the status quo, you just do what you've always done. He goes, that's what's happening. He goes, I remember your sincerity of heart. I remember your zeal and excitement. I remember how that stirred the affection of other churches. And then he says, but I am sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter so that you may be ready as I said you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and they find that you're not ready, we would be humiliated and to say nothing of you for being so confident. He said, I'm sending a handful of people along. And he said, I'm sending them for two reasons. One, to hold you accountable to what you said. And he said, and I pray that if you're not ready, as you said you would be a year earlier, that they would be humiliated to be in your presence. In a sense, he would say, I'm hoping they'll be embarrassed because you didn't do everything I said that you would do. And so what Paul is a sense doing, he's saying, hey, I promise you that my Corinthian friends are going to be ready. I promise you they're going to stay, they're going to, they're going to stand up to the plate. I promise you that they're not going to strike three times and miss. I promise you they're going to be ready. And he says, but if you're not, I pray that they're embarrassed to be in your presence. Pretty strong, right? And then he says, and moreover, I pray that you're embarrassed that they're in your presence. Why? Because he says, I'm sending a handful of people from Macedonia, the people who have been war tattered, who have very little in terms of possessions, but yet they have given way beyond. And in chapter eight, we talked about a couple of weeks ago, they gave exceedingly more than Paul expected. Matter of fact, Paul was saying, no, 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 that's too much. And yet they begged him to take it. They said, that's who I'm sending. So that when they're in your presence, you either measure up to the fullness of Christ or you're embarrassed because they put you to shame. And so Paul says, get ready. They're coming your way. And so I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. He goes, and I'm looking to see your heart in the matter. He goes, I know you can sign the check. I know that you can give what you think you should give. But he said, I'm not interested in seeing that. I'm interested in seeing what? the willingness of your gift. Are you beat down to be here? And so let me just real quickly take a quick break before I show you the six benefits of giving, the six benefits of being generous. Are you beat down by being here? Is serving now a beating rather than a joy? Is giving more of a burden than it is a blessing? Because what happens all too often in our Christian lives, and, and you'll know what I'm talking about because you're like, oh gosh, I gotta go. Oh, I forgot. Oh, I gotta go. 
You've done it. I've done it. Yes? Okay, if you'll admit in the presence of God and many witnesses. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, I'm just kidding. He says, I know that you can do it, but I'm not interested in whether or not you can do it. I'm interested as to whether or not this is a blessing when you do it. And so then he says, the point is this. He goes, this is what I'm getting to. This is the point. And if you're like me, you're reading that, you're like, man, you took a little while to get to the point. I like it because it reminds me of me, okay? (laughs) The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. One of the greatest benefits of giving is it brings laughter to your heart. It brings joy to your heart. And matter of fact, when you look right there that God loves a cheerful giver because you've heard that before, you know, like you're, you're about to, you know, make your kid give a dollar of his $5 to the offering plate and you can tell how beat down he is because he's only six years old. And then you just go, well, God loves a cheerful giver, you know? What that word in the Greek literally means is hilarion. It's the word that we get hilarious, laughter, we receive joy. It brings refreshment to us. And as Proverbs says that he who refreshes others, he himself will be refreshed. It's the point <coughs> that we, when we give, it brings joy to our hearts. And so one of the top benefits and you and I giving graciously to other people is because of what God gives back to us and the refreshment that it brings. Read on. And And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. For as it is written, he is distributed freely and he is given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. And he takes two Old Testament quotations, one in verse nine and another one here in verse 10. He who supplies seed of the sower and bread for the food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness, which he takes from Isaiah. And what he's saying there is very similar to what he said in verse 6, that those who sow sparingly will reap sowingly, but those who, what, sow bountifully will reap bountifully. And here's the second benefit of giving to, towards God and to others is that you cannot outgive God. You can't outgive him. And so not only does joy bring laughter and joy to your heart, but when you give, you cannot outgive God. And you go, well, Brandon, what do you mean? Because that, that sounds a little bit weird. Like you're saying that if I give, then God always gives back. No, I didn't say it. God said it. And time and time and time again in his word, he says that, that he will give back. Proverbs eleven twenty four. one gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give, and he only suffers want. Luke 6, 38, Jesus says, give and it'll be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. It will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use it, it'll be measured back to you. What Jesus is saying that, that sounds almost like a prosperity gospel. Like I give and it's given back to me. So maybe I should give more. He says in Proverbs 19 that whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord and he will repay him for his deed. In Malachi chapter three, verse 10, he says, I'm going to open up the storehouses. He says, you bring your first fruits to me and I'm going to overflow your vats and your barns with my goodness. And then he says, test me in this. So the question is, is this, Brandon, are you saying 
are you saying that if, if I'll give the Lord that he gives back? Yes. But the question is, why does he give back? And right there in this text I just read to you, he gives you the answer. Paul says, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. So we know that it's not by our works that we're saved, right? But we also know that James says, but that with what? Faith without works is dead. So that the very works that we do, every good works is the manifestation of the spirit working itself in us. As he works out our salvation and we do it with fear and trembling, we know that we begin to be generous by what? Every good work. And then every good work does something. He distributed freely and he has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Whose? Yours. Mine. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. The point is this. God already knows our heart. And if we believe for a moment we can manipulate the heart of God with our giving, then we're already out of the equation. Because if your job to give is to give or write a check in hopes that maybe God will give you back three, four, five, or even tenfold the check that you write, then your heart's already in the wrong place because you're not what? Doing every good work. You're trying to get rich fast which is the problem with a televangelist because a televangelist does something different than what Paul says to do here. Paul says you take your good works and your acts of righteousness and who do you distribute to? He says to the poor. But a televangelist says do your good acts or your works and give to the rich. You ever caught that? Support my ministry and it's giving to someone different than what Paul says. And so here's what we know. If you give with the right heart, the right motives, with joy and laughter, then God says, I will supply you time and time and time again. Why? So that your righteousness will endure forever. And what he means by that is this. The only reason that I'll give back to you is so that you can give all that back again. I'll give back to you as long as you'll keep doing what you're already doing. But the moment that you stop being a blessing to other people and you start believing that my hands have garnished this for myself or that God intends me to keep this for myself, then he says, at that point, I will no longer bless the scattering of the seed. But he says, if you scatter, if you reap what you have now sowed, he says, if you give it away as a blessing with joy and laughter in your heart, he says, God will continue to provide and you will not outgive him. Why? Because he wants you to be a blessing. Then verse 11 says, and you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God for the ministry of the service is not supplying the needs of the saints, but it's also overflowing in many thanksgiving to God. So why do we give? Because we supply the needs of others. The whole purpose in them giving to this was to supply the needs of the saints in Jerusalem. The ones who had been beaten, broken down, abused for their faith, They've lost jobs, they've lost their homes, they've lost all sense of security, and yet God says, because you've denied yourself, take up the cross and follow me, he says, I will provide for you. Now, let me ask you a question. Is it the provision that they always wanted? Probably not. But it is God coming through and saying, I will use other people in the kingdom 
to supply your needs. And so one of the greatest blessings, the third on our list of six, is that we get to supply the needs of other people. What an awesome blessing that we would get to do that. Then look what it says. And by their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. Look at that. So after you give in a a blessing, an encouraging way, after you see that you can't outgive God and that you're supplying the needs of others, do you see their response? Others begin to thank God for his provision. Now, interesting enough, others don't thank God because of your provision. Did you catch that? But they thank God for his provision. And so what naturally happens is that you go and you see a need, (coughs) whether it be in a family or a community, and you decide that with laughter and joy in your heart, we're going to go because we know that we're going to be a blessing to other people. We're going to provide for the saints. We know that as we do that, that God's going to richly supply us to do this again. And as we make sure that that single mom has a washer and a dryer, or we make sure that they get a meal paid for, and it's just a blessing of them, that as they do that, what happens is, is they may, if they know it was you, go, hey, thank you. But later on that evening, they're going to say, God, thank you that you provided for us in this way. God, thank you, because I was wondering how in the world I was going to begin to get to work, and yet this couple gave me an incredible gift. God, thank you. And so when you give with the right motives, they're not going to respond and saying, hey, thank you, because you were so good. What they're going to do is respond and say, thank you, because you pointed to a God who is so good. And that's the goal. If your goal is to get a pat on the back, then you're already given for the wrong reason. I promise you that God's not going to bless what you've sowed. But if you'll give because you want other people to see God and his magnificent wonder in your lives, you want him and them to see the grace in which he has so freely given you, then it will be a blessing. And they'll thank God for you. But they'll also thank God for who? Him. And that's the great thing. But look what happens. And while they long for you and they pray for you because of the surpassing, what? Grace of God upon you. Do you see what happens? So the goal in giving is to point people to God, right? But God always allows the giver to be blessed. And look what happens here. And while they long for you, they begin to, what? Pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. If you want to be the most liked person in Will's Point, if you want to be the most liked person in Edgewood, or Van Zandt County for that matter, I promise you, you don't have to do anything else but be generous. Why? Because as you're generous to people, they begin to realize God's provision in their lives, and they cannot help but thank God for the person who did it. You don't feel like enough people are praying for you? You're not generous enough, apparently. Because what happens is, is you bless people. And as this New Testament church in Macedonia was blessing people, and as they were encouraging this church in Corinth, who was on the edge about blessing people, he goes, why would you not? I mean, it brings joy and laughter to your heart. Like, you know that you cannot outgive God. It supplies the needs of others. It points people to God, and they give thanks for him. And then moreover, they keep praying for you. Why? Because they want you to be generous again. 
They want you to do this again and again and again. Why? Because it shows God's goodness. And let me ask you a question before we read this final verse. Do you think we live in a land in a day and time where more people need to see more of God's blessing? Absolutely. I don't know if people realize it or not, but I'm, we are one of a handful of the only churches I know in the world who, one of the things that we talk about in our leadership, and it's really a core value for us, although we don't talk about it much, is that we never ever want to be known as a church who takes. We always want to be known as a church who gives. Never ever do we want to be a, a church in our community or in our county or in our world that is a burden for other people but we always want to be known as being a blessing. It doesn't mean that we always get things right. It doesn't mean that we always do things the way that we wish we'd have done them. The one thing we do know is that we're never going to set up a, a, a stand and, and sell cookies because you, we want you to send our kids to camp or build a building for us. And that may kind of rub some of you the wrong way. You're like, well, are you hating on churches? No, I'm not hating on them. But what I'm saying is this, I always want to be known as a person, as a pastor, there's a church with giving and not taking. Why? I guess because I pray all the time that God would give us favor with both God and men. And I want that in my own life. And how does that happen? It happens when we become generous. That's what the text says. When we're generous, others begin to pray for you. They like you. They love you. Why? Because in this day and age, it's very rare to find people who are just generous. But as we kind of prepare to wrap this message up and send you out, I, I wanted to show you a video that I came across this week at a conference. And it's about a mom who didn't have much, but what she did have and saving for her own car, she decided she was going to give it all away. And I want you to see what God does with this beautiful story and why it just really makes this text come to life. So y'all check this out. I had an accident and my hip was broken in so many pieces. I have two rods in my hip. She's an angel among us. If you watch her in the bread company, everyone comes in to see Catherine. You know, we sell the bread, but I feel like there are some people who specifically come with prayer requests and uh, I go pray for them. One day when we were sharing, she said she was in need of a different car, that her car was needing expensive repairs. I had been saving money, but uh, I knew it wasn't enough, so I knew I would take a few years to save for it. So a couple months later, I went in and I said, Catherine, how's your car fund coming? And she said, I gave it all away. And I looked at her and, and she said, there was a widow in need and I gave her the $5,000. I struggled a lot when I gave that money. And uh, I said, I feel okay, but uh, do you think I did the right thing? 
I mean, I cannot give what I don't have, so I just give what I had. I was shocked, and so I come home and I tell Pete that we needed to help Catherine with her car fund. He looked at me and he said, no, I think we need to buy Catherine a car. And I said, okay, great. Pete called Scott and said, do you know Catherine Great Harvest? And he said, yes, he did. Pete said, well, we'd like to buy her a car. He asked Pete, do you want it used your new car? And it just hit him right in the face. Why would he ask me that? Of course I would want a used car. That's good enough. He just paused for a moment and he said, I want a new car. And he said it was silent on the phone for a few seconds. And Scott said, whoa, I want to help. And so he pitched in some. So she came to the bakery and uh, she asked me, if you were to buy a car, what kind of a car would you like? I said, Debbie, I'm not really planning to buy a car. But she said, oh, just tell me. And she said, I'd like a SUV cruise control. And she said, I'd like a light color. And we called Scott and he said, I think I've got the perfect car. So Pete said, can we deliver it tomorrow? So we have the bread company owner and his family, Scott and his family and our family. And Catherine sees us all coming in and she's just all excited to see everyone. And uh, I went to give them hugs and I said, what's Pete doing here? I did have the, the biggest idea. When I went out, And so we walked her over to the car. We said, Catherine, this is your new car. So, oh, I said, for me, this is for me. I said, oh, I, I knew God had many cars, but I didn't know he had a new one for me. So, God had new cars <laughs> for me. We all stood there in tears as we saw the joy on Catherine's face. And we got to be a part of it. And the joy of that was unbelievable. It felt so right. It was such an excitement to drive it. We told Catherine that we would like this to be confidential. But I kept running into people who would say, I heard what you did for Catherine. It wasn't even us, it was Catherine. It all started with Catherine giving of what she had to a widow to help her, and it just continues on. Generosity begets generosity. We don't give in order to receive. We give because it's the nature of Jesus Christ. He gave us his life. So we, we have the, the DNA of Jesus Christ of giving. <laughs> yeah, so this is one story I would never forget in my life.
I've given you five incredible reasons to give, but I think the sixth one trumps them all. And in verse 15, it says, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Our giving points to a true and better giver. A giver who laid his life down for his friends, a giver who did not want anything in return, but he willingly submitted himself to the authority of his father in saying that it is more blessed to give than to receive. And that's why we give is because it represents who Jesus is in us. And just as Catherine says, God manifests a DNA in us as his children that ought to be a blessing. And all too often, I think if you were to look at us as Christians, we walk around, our heads are down, we have a frown on our face, and we forget the richness and the beauty of his grace. And people don't know us as giving life, giving beautiful people. They know us more as people who, what, are cynical, complaining, judgmental, and what? non-benevolent, and yet that's not what God wants. And so the question is, is how do you reap what you sow? How do you become what Jesus wants you to be? And I'll leave you with this thought. How do you find life? Jesus says you must lose it. How do you know that God will provide? Jesus says you must give so that you can receive. How does a piece of grain become fruitful and bear much? It first falls to the earth and dies. When's the last time that you said, Jesus, I'm going to die to my own need. Jesus, I'm going to die to my own desires and my wants. And God, I'm willing to give all of this to you because you so richly blessed me. I want to be a blessing and I'm willing to die so that you could find a harvest of righteousness in my life. And so God, quit, quit allowing me to ask this question, what should I give? And start allowing me to ask the question, God, what should I keep? Let me pray for us, friends. God, we love you and we thank you for today. And we pray, Father, that you would take in us and give us a heart of generosity, of love and a desire to Show other people the inexpressible gift and grace of Jesus. Lord, help us to know that as we give, it brings laughter and joy to our hearts. And that as we test you and see that Lord, we'll know we can't outgive you because you continue to reproduce so that we can bless other people again and again and again. And then in our giving, it supplies the needs of other people. It brings people to their knees and giving thanks for your provision. And then, God, you give us the bonus of them praying for us and encouraging us and loving us because we pointed them to a true and better Jesus, a true and better giver. And so, Father, help us, God, to go out and be ready to be gracious and good and benevolent. Help us to reveal to others the heart of God through our giving and our generosity. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen.